Hi church, it's so, so glad that you're joining us this morning. Let me remind you, it's Valentine's Day. And uh, so if you're now remembering now, oh damn, it's Valentine's Day, uh, you've got a bit of a problem. But um, I just want to say to you that as a church, we love you. And I know God loves you. And I hope you enjoy Valentine's Day. For some of us, we got nothing for Valentine's Day. But I hope you get something. Let us uh, get into God's Word this morning or this afternoon, whichever, whichever you're watching us today. Uh, we're continuing with a series called Revival Goes Viral. And uh, before we get into this uh, series, I want to just pray and I want to ask God to bless His Word to us this, today. So Father, we ask You as we come before You, as we listen to Your Word, I ask Lord that You'll speak to us. I pray God that You would share with us Your heart. I pray God that we would hear You today that will transform our lives, and that we'll become more the people that you're calling us to be, Lord. So, Father, I commit your word to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll quicken it to our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. I want to start off today by asking you a question. Have you ever done a renovation project? You know, I love to watch, you know, you can watch these programs on TV. You know, some guys are excellent at renovating old cars or renovating homes or, or renovating a garden that's unkept. You know, over the holiday period now that just passed over December, you know, one of the things I've been intending to do for a very long time, I've had good intentions, was to do some renovations in my own home. And uh, so while I was on leave, I, I tackled some of these projects. You know what I learned from these renovation projects? Is that until you actually do it, renovation doesn't come. Until I actually put the time and the effort and the energy into it, that's when the restoration came. That's when the, the life came back. That's when something that was old suddenly looked like something that was new. And so when, we, when I think of that, uh, it makes me think about the, the reality that our spiritual lives are exactly the same. You know, if you're looking for revival in your life, if you're looking for restoration in you, your life, if you're looking for a, a project of uh, re renovation in your life, then you know what? You're going to have to put some time. And some energy and some effort into it. Because this is the slogan. And you're going to hear me say this a few times today. That I want to drill into our hearts today. Is that God brings revival and restoration and healing and regeneration to seekers. Not to people with good intentions. And, and, and I'll say that a couple of times. And I'll, I'll explain it further as we go. But maybe there is a area in your life today. Where you say to me, Nick, I, I've got an area in my life that, that is a... A project that needs renovation. It's a project that needs life. It's, it's dead in my life. You know, when you look at this word revival, revival means or, or renovation means that there was something that was alive, that was new, that was beautiful. And over time has become old or stale or dead or cold. Now, when I say those words, the question I ask is, is there an area of your life like that? Maybe it's your relationship with God. Maybe you're saying to me, Nick, you know what? In, in, in the years that have gone past, in, in, in the past, in my past, I used to be so on fire for God. But it's died down and it's dead and it's cold. And it, need, it needs revival. It needs life. It needs renovation in my life. Maybe it's the ser your serving of God that, that's like that. Maybe it's your love and your passion and your zeal for God that has gone cold, that maybe needs renovation in your life. It could be something practical like your finances or even your marriage or your relationship with your children. Whatever it is, maybe there's an area in your life where you're saying, I need revival. I need restoration. I need renovation in this area of my life. 
I want to say to you today that the reason we're preaching through this series, series Revival Goes Viral, is because we believe with all our hearts that God does want to restore, and God does want to revive, and God does want to rejuvenate, and God does want to bring life to those areas of your life that need revival. And so we're concentrating on 2 Chronicles 7.14. Let me read it again for you. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Listen what, what God says. He says this. Then I will hear from heaven. And will forgive them their sins. And yield their land. And so we've been looking at this, this portion of scripture for a couple of weeks. And, and, and when you start to unpack this portion of scripture. There's two things that I feel are important for this sermon today. The first thing is this. I want you to notice from that portion of scripture what God wants to do. Can you see from, from 2 Chronicles 7.14 that God has an intention. That God wants to hear you, God wants to heal you, God wants to restore, God wants to renovate, God wants to revive in your life. When you look at that word of healing the land, some versions of the Bible um, have that as restoring your land. But it means to cure, it means to make whole, it means to bring back to life, it means to heal. And that's exactly what I believe God wants to do in those very areas. That you're saying, I need restoration. I need revival in these areas of my life. And I believe God wants to do that for you. But the first part of that portion of Scripture is very clear. You see, the first part of that portion of Scripture says that we as God's people need to respond to Him in a particular way. The Bible there tells us that we need to humble ourselves. That we need to pray. That we need to seek His face. And that we need to turn from our wicked ways. And so although God wants to bring revival, revival is actually dependent on your response to God. And so God is asking you not to have good intentions, but to do something and to get up and make a change in your life so that you can see revival and restoration and renovation in some areas that you're desperately looking for it. There, I want to say it again. God restores and God revives and God restores and, I mean, <laughs> restores and He re re renovates and re rejuvenates and He brings life and He heals people that seek Him. Not people with good intentions. You say to me, Nick, you, uh, let, me, let me unpack this a little bit. Why am I harping on this thing about people that seek God and, and, and people that have good intentions? Well, you see, seekers are people that do something. Seekers are people that make a change. In this portion of scripture, a seeker is a person that will deliberately humble themselves. A seeker is a person that's going to make time to pray and put a priority to prayer. A seeker is a person that wants the presence of God in their lives and will seek the presence of God in their lives. A seeker is a person that will repent and turn from their sin. A good intention person is a person that wants to do all that, but doesn't put the effort into it, but still hopes for revival. That's a good intention person. The intention is right, but the action isn't there. You see, seekers make changes. People with good intentions hope for change, but never really see it. I know when you look at this portion of scripture, because I've been asked this question, isn't this... 2 Chronicles 7.14, just a, a promise to the, to the nation of Israel. I want to say to you, it was a promise to Israel, but I believe that, that that's God's heart. And I want to show you why I believe that. Because when you turn to James chapter 4 from verse 8 to 10, it says this, Come close to God and He will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, 
you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. You see from this portion of scripture, you see exactly the same principles in the New Testament. James is teaching, God wants to exalt you. God wants to lift you up. God wants to revive. God wants to bring life. God wants to restore in your life. But the condition again in James chapter 4 is exactly the same as 2 Chronicles. We need to humble ourselves. We need to find ourselves in the presence of God. We need to turn from our sin. And so I with all my heart believe that 2 Chronicles 7.14 is not only a promise to the nation of Israel, but it's a promise to you and a promise to me because I believe that's God's heart for us. You see, the starting point to revival in your life and my life is to become a seeker of God. Because God revives seekers, not those with good intentions. You may say to me, Nick, what does it mean for me to be a seeker of God? Now this portion of scripture tells us that we must seek God's face. So this word face is important. Because in the Old Testament, that word for face was interchangeably used for presence. And so we get a sense and an understanding when God says to me, seek my face. What he's saying to me is seek my presence. Seek to be in my presence all the time. Seek to be in communion with me all the time. That's what it means to seek God and to seek God's face or to seek God's presence for every day of your life. You know, there are many times in the mornings after my quiet times. Where I pray and, and, and I say this. I say, Lord, I'm, I'm now going to end my quiet time. I'm going to stop my prayer time. I'm going to stop reading the word. But I don't want to go out your presence. God, everywhere I go today, I pray that your presence is there. Father, every decision I make, I want to hear your voice, Lord. I don't, don't want to make any decisions today that is out of my wisdom or out of my strength. I want to depend on you for everything today, God. Everywhere I go, I pray that I'll hear you and discern what you want me to do in that place because I desire your presence in my life. And I think that's what God is, in, is asking us to do when he says to us, we need to seek his face. We need to seek his presence in every moment and every situation and every circumstance of our lives. I think there's a very important principle that is attached to seeking God's presence and which will, will almost define, I think, what, what, it, what it looks like to seek God's presence. In Psalms 63.1, the psalmist writes, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And so the psalmist here gives us a picture of what it looks like to desire the presence of God in your life. Listen to what he says. Listen to the picture. See the mental picture of what he's trying to portray to us. He says, my soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I remember when I was much, much, much younger. I was with my grandparents and we were traveling somewhere. No idea where we were going, but I remember, I think they had a ranchero. I think it was called a ranchero, but I was in the back. It was a, a bucky type, uh, type vehicle, and I, we, were, uh, we were sitting in the back. And I remember how thirsty I was. I remember that I was so thirsty that all I could think about was where I could find water. I remember so clearly how we would drive down this long road, and in the distance I would see... A mirage uh, and it looked like there was water 
on the, on, on, on the tar. And I, all it was, it was a reflection of the sun. But when I looked at that, I, I, always, I was banging on the wind and saying, there's water in the road, can you stop? I need to drink some water. And when I think of that story, I think of the, the fact is, I think that's what God wants us to be like in desiring his presence in our lives. You see, God wants us to have this desire for to live in his presence. God wants us to seek the presence, his presence in our lives like a person that is thirsty, like a person that is faint. Because the point is this, when you're thirsty and when you're faint, all you can think about, all, you, all your energy, all your thoughts, all, everything is, is centered around this one thing that you need water, that you're thirsty and you want to drink something. Everything else is unimportant. Everything else is secondary. What is the primary focus in your life is to get water and get water now. And I think that's exactly what God is asking from me and from you. Is that we would thirst so desperately for him. That if we don't have his presence in our lives, and then we'll seek so desperately for him, that if we don't have his presence in our lives, we will feel faint and we'll be consumed by this need for him and his presence in our lives. That everything else is unimportant. That everything else is secondary. That all we need for survival for, to make it through today is the presence of God in our lives, seeking that for our lives. 1 Chronicles 22, 19, the first part says, Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Another principle that shows us exactly what it looks like to seek God. Firstly, you need to have this desire, like a thirst for God and the presence of God in your life. The second thing that's important here is that you must make a decision to set your mind and your heart on seeking God. It means this. When you set your mind, it means that you think about it, that you meditate on, that your, con your, your, your cognitive um, part of your life is focused on thinking about the presence of God, being in the presence of God, seeking out the presence of God in your life. What does that look like in your life? It, this is how it looks like. It means walking around in your normal day-to-day -day and in a moment of time stopping and thinking and saying, Lord, where are you now? God, I desperately need to hear you now. God, I'm going into a meeting now. What are you saying to me? God, I'm going to meet a, a friend. What do you want me to say through this meeting, through this, this friendship? God, I'm in trouble here. What, what should I do? You see, it's when you turn your mind to focus on God and to fix it on God and to bring God into your day, seeking God's presence in your day. The, the second one is that you, that you set your heart, your emotions, Upon God. It means that you love Him above all other things. That He's your first love. The only way I can explain this to you is by telling you that I think it's like when you do fall in love. You know when you fall in love? What do you do when you fall in love? You're continuously thinking of the other person. You're thinking about, I wonder what they're doing. I wonder how they're feeling. I wonder what they're having for lunch. I wonder what we can do together tonight. I wonder what I can do to make them feel loved, to know that I love them. You see, when you like that with a person, your heart is towards them. And so the Bible says that we should set our hearts and our minds to seeking God. Lord, I love 
you so much that I want to seek your presence all the time. The third principle that's important about seeking God is that it should be a lifestyle. Psalm 105, 4 says, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. You see, this isn't a once-off thing. This isn't something that we do when we're in trouble. This isn't something that we do while we're doing a 21-day fast. This isn't something that we do when, when we're on top of the mountain or in the bottom valley. This is a lifestyle. This means that, that what God's intention for us is that we should seek His presence in our lives continually, 24-7. When I wake up in the morning, I should say, Lord, I desire Your presence right now in my life. When I'm getting ready for the day, Lord, I don't know what this day holds, but I want to walk with you in it. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. As you get into your space, whether it's school or whether it's varsity or whether it's at the workplace or whether it's with your family, Lord, in this moment, where are you? And how do I use my life now for your glory? Because your presence is continually with me and I seek it. I want it continuous with me. Let me ask you this. How desperate are you for the presence of God in your life? How thirsty are you to seek the presence of God in your life? How set is your mind and your heart on seeking to be in the presence of God every day of your life, every moment of your life? And is this a lifestyle that you live? Because I, I, I think as we look at the word of God, this is what God wants from us. This is what it means to seek the face of God. And when you do that, what God says to you is in 2 Chronicles, I'll heal you. I'll restore you. I'll revive you. I'll rejuvenate. I'll bring life to you. You see, the Bible is very clear that God does reward those that seek him. You know, those that are desperate for His presence, those that are making changes in their lives to be more in the presence of God, God rewards that. Hebrews tells us, I mean, Romans chapter 11, 6 says the following, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those that earnestly seek Him. Listen to the back part of that portion of Scripture. We must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek him. I want to tell you very briefly. I don't want to focus on it. I just want to mention it a little bit this morning or this afternoon, whichever one you're watching. That God rewards seekers. Not people with good intentions. God revives seekers. Not those with good intentions. And some of the rewards that God's going to pour out on your life when you become a seeker of his presence are the following. You can make a note to them. You know that seekers, part of their reward is that they learn to hear God and they learn to know His will. Jesus is that example. In John chapter 5.30, He says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. You see, the Bible paints us a picture of Jesus. The Bible tells us that Jesus every morning would get up and go and spend time with the Father. You see, he was invested in seeking God. It was a priority in his life to seek. He was a seeker of the presence of God in his life. And part of the reward for, that we see in Christ, and in you and me who are seekers, in the, in, in, uh, seekers of the presence of God, is that we learn to hear God and we learn to understand his will for our lives. Can you imagine what your life would be like 
if you're a seeker of God and every day you have a sense of God's will and God's voice to you for that day. Imagine the, the, the change that you'll make in your decisions. Imagine the change in your responses and your reactions. Imagine the change in the challenges and the, and the, and, and the difficulties and the valleys that you might be finding yourself in. My daughter, my eldest daughter, Lee, has really been an encouragement for me over the last probably month and a half because it, she had a particular circumstance in her life and, and she started to really press into God and uh, pray a lot. And she was saying to me, Dad, I'm, I'm really praying a lot. I'm really uh, I'm journaling and I, and I need to hear God and I, I just need to find God in this, in this, real, in this part of my life. And, um, and you know what happened? God spoke to her. She heard God's voice. She started to discern God's will. And as she started to respond to the voice of God and the will of God, it has been amazing how God has transformed many aspects of her life. There were areas that looked like there were closed doors. And in that seeking and hearing and understanding the will of God, doors began to open. Revival began to come in areas. Life began to come. And I was so encouraged to see how as she sought the presence of the Lord, and as she sought God, how God responded to her. Another one of the rewards that, that we uh, get as seekers of the presence of God is that obviously is healing and restoration. And that is in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And that's what we've been covering over the last couple of weeks. So I don't need to say anything there. The third one is this. The Bible tells us in Psalm 9-10. to And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. You know what it means to um, not be forsaken? It means this, that you'll never be abandoned, that you'll never be deserted, you'll never be left alone. You see, what God is promising you, promising me, that if we become seekers of His presence, you'll never face anything in your life, no decision, no circumstance, no valley, no challenge, no problem, no mountaintop. You'll never do that on your own. You'll always have the presence of God with you. You'll never be left abandoned in your time of need. Because God will always be with you. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine what your life and my life will look like? If we permanently have the presence of God with us. Through the, 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 the highs on the top of the mountains to the valleys of our lives. That no matter as we travel through those things, always having that understanding and that sense and that reality that God in His presence is with me because I'm a seeker of Him. The fourth thing that we see very briefly is in Psalm 34.10. It says, The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. So the fourth thing is this. Seekers of God lack no good thing. I, I love this portion of scripture actually because what it implies is this. Is that even a, 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 a young lion. Sometimes it hunts. But it doesn't get food. Sometimes it, when it's hunting. It still remains hungry because it doesn't have a catch. Because it's not provided for. But for those that seek the Lord. God provides for you. You will lack no good thing. This reminds me very much of Matthew chapter 6 verses 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Unto you. you see seekers of God. Those that are desperate for the presence of God in their lives. The promise of God to you as a seeker is this. That he will always provide for you. That you will not lack any good thing 
in your life because you are a seeker of his kingdom, of his righteousness, and of him. And his promise to you is that he will sort out all the stuff that you need because that is your reward as a seeker of God. The last one that we find in the Bible is in, in Psalm 119 verse 2. Is that blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Who seek him with their whole hearts. They are blessed. You know what it means to be blessed? It means to be fortunate. It means to be happy. It means to have growth or enlargement in your life. And it means to be favored. You know if you're a seeker of the presence of God. You will be blessed. You will be happy. You'll have God's favor upon you. You'll have God's fortune upon you. And God will enlarge your space. And so I want to remind you very briefly here. That you know what is a seeker of the presence of God. There's rewards for you. Let me remind you quickly what they are. You'll learn to hear the voice of God. And you'll learn to understand the will of God in your life. You'll have healing and restoration over your life. You will have a, no lack of any good thing in your life. You'll never have to face anything alone. Because God will never forsake you. And you'll be blessed in all you do. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing what God does for those that earnestly seek Him? The question really is, what, why don't we? Why don't we? What are the barriers to keeping us from having this desperation and this earnesty in seeking the presence of God in our lives? What keeps us from that? And there are things, there's five things that I think the Bible picks up on. The first thing is this, and I think that our view of God is a major barrier for us to earnestly press in to His presence. You see Hebrews tells us in 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You see, this portion of scripture tells us exactly what you find when you press into God. You find grace, you're going to find mercy, and you're going to find help. But you see, the devil's a master in telling you and telling me that God is angry with us. That God is disappointed with you. That God wants to discipline you. That God wants to sort you out. And as soon as you have that in your mind, the last thing you really do want to do is press into the presence of God because you're not sure what you're going to find there. But I want to tell you that that is a lie from the pit of hell. You see, God wants to restore your life. God wants to, you to draw close to Him. God wants to pour His grace over your life. God wants to pour His love over your life. God wants to help you. Don't be... Deceived by the lies of the enemy. God's not angry and disappointed with you. God wants you to turn to him. You see, seekers turn to God. People with good intentions want to turn to God. But always find a reason why they're not going to turn to God. The second thing we find in the word of God, which I think is a barrier to uh, keeps us out of the presence of God keeps us away from this desperate earnestly seeking of God is sin you know sin does break our relationship with God the the, the in Genesis 3 8 we see the story of Adam and Eve and it says this and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden this is after they they had sinned walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord isn't that amazing they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden but the Lord called out to the man and said to him where are you you see sin does that to you and to me 
You know, sin makes you feel guilty. Sin makes you feel condemned. Sin makes you feel worthless and not worthy to be able to go into the presence of God. So instead of going into the presence of God, instead of seeking the presence of God, instead of seeking the presence of God in, in every moment of your life, you, because you're feeling guilty and because of your sin, you hide away from the presence of God. And you don't seek after Him. You don't seek His presence in your life because you don't feel like you're worthy for it. I want to say to you today, if that's you, you know what seekers do? They do exactly what James 4 and 2 Chronicles 7 tell us to do. They turn from their wicked ways. They repent and they, they deal with the sin in their lives. And by doing that, they turn back to God. You see what people with good intentions do. They know that they need to turn from their sins. And they have every intention to turn from their sins, but they never do. And that's the difference between a seeker and a person with a good intention. A seeker deals and repents from their sin and then draws back into the presence of God. The third thing that I see in the Word of God that keeps us from the presence of God is busyness. You remember the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, 38. It's, and Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem. They came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But Jesus said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and will not be taken away from her. You know, isn't this true about your life and my life? You know, Martha was doing good things. She was doing right things. She was preparing a meal. But she missed the reality that she could be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And isn't that what I'm saying is true about you and me? Is that we're so busy. We're so busy with our families. We're so busy with our sports. We're so busy with our workplaces that we are doing the right things. But we're missing the moments and opportunities to be in the presence of God because of our busyness. I think this is a major challenge that we have we have good intentions i know that because <laughs> i've lived it myself good intentions to say lord in my day today i'm going to find some time to pray and read my bible and 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 just focus on you or worship you or serve you in some way today and then when i put my head on the pillow at night i, I go and i say lord i didn't even think of you today because i had good intentions but i made no Choice in my life to prioritize the presence of God for that day. You see, busyness turns people into people with good intentions. You see, seekers, even though they're busy, make a priority in their lives to spend time with God every, every day. They make a priority in their lives to set aside time to pray. To set aside time to worship God. To set aside time to serve God. And to read His Word. And to commune with Him. It's a priority for them. Good intention people. Want to do it. But never find the time. Never find the time. The fourth thing that I think is a barrier to, that keeps us out of this desperation uh, uh, for the presence of God is pride. Psalm 10.4 says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. 
all his thoughts are, there is no God. And you, you know, when I read that and when you hear that, you're saying, well, Nick, that's obviously not for me. I'm a believer in Jesus. I'm not, I'm not wicked. And I think that that's true. But I think there's a principle in this psalm that is actually true about all of our lives. You see, God has designed us to be in relationship with him. And every time we face a challenge or we face a problem or we're on top of the mountain or down in the valley where we have a decision to make, I think what God wants from you and from me as we live in his presence is to turn to him. Say, Lord, what do you think in this moment? Let me hear your voice. Let me understand your will. Help me to make the best decision. Help me to do the right thing. Help me to... Um, whatever it is, help me to live out your will in this moment, in this time. But you see, every time we do these things in our own strength, we're actually rejecting God and the intention that God has for us. Because when I do these things in my own strength, I don't need God. And I think what God wants is us to need Him. He wants us to be desperate for Him. He wants us to thirst after Him. He wants us to feel faint without Him. I was, as I was preparing this, a thought came to my mind. I was thinking about how in this life, we as human beings, one of the things that we all generally want is we want a life partner. We want somebody who we can live our lives with. Somebody that we can live the highs and the lows with. Somebody that will love us through everything. Somebody that we can turn to when we need help. Somebody that we can turn to when we need strength. Somebody that we can turn to when we need wisdom. Somebody that we can turn to when we need comfort and when we need joy. And you know, our response to that is to try and find another human being. We want to find a spouse. We want to find a husband. We want to find a wife. We want to find a girlfriend. We want to find a boyfriend. Because they are going to fulfill this, this need of me. To have to live life with somebody. But I was wondering. I wonder if God put that in our, in our lives. In our hearts. Because he wanted to fill that space. Because he's the one that we should be turning to. And living the moments of our lives with. I don't, I'm not saying you mustn't do that with a partner. I think it's fantastic if you find a partner. And you can do that with a partner. But whether you have a partner or you don't have a partner. You never have to live your life alone. And without that, because Jesus is that. His presence is that. And as we seek His presence, He fulfills that in our lives. And you never have to go through the ups and the downs and the decisions and, the, and, and, and wanting joy and wanting peace and all these things. And look to people, you can always look to God. Because I think God put that in your heart because He wants to fulfill that space in your life. But when we don't grab that and when we reject that and when we... When we look to the world and to other things to fill those things, I believe that we're doing exactly this. That we're saying, God, I can do it without you. I can do this without you. I don't need you. And I think that that's not what God wants. I think seekers invite God into their space. I think people with a good intention know that that's the right thing to do, but never actually do it. <coughs> and the final thing is this. Matthew chapter 6, 32 to 33 says, for the Gentiles seek after these things. What do they seek after? The previous chapter, the things of the world. They seek after clothes and material things and food. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, the Gentiles seek after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added 
to you. You see, the last barrier that I see in the Word of God is that you and I sometimes are deceived to think that this life is only about seeking after the things of this world, the things that the world tells me I need, instead of seeking after God and letting God add those things to my life. And it's a very true and a very real thing. I see it often happen. I've seen it happen in my life. I see it happen a lot in people's lives. You know, all our time, all our energy, all our resources are focused on the temporal things of this life. And I, and, and I know that you and I, sometimes when we find ourselves in that space, we have the good intention. We know that, that that's not the way we want to live. We want to seek the kingdom of God and we want to seek his righteousness and we want to seek his presence. And we say things like this. You know what? When I retire, I'm really going to focus on seeking God's and God's purposes for my life. When I get married, I'm really going to seek God and God's purposes for my life. When I finish varsity and I've got my degree, when, I, when my career has settled down, when my kids are older, when I don't feel so tired anymore, and, we, and all these when I's and when I's and when I's, you know, they're good intentions, but they never bring the change. You see, God's calling you and me as seekers to seek His kingdom, to take our time and our energy and our resources and ensure that they are focused on Him and the kingdom of God and not only on the things of this world. But good intention people have their focus wrong but have an intention one day to change it. The problem with that is this, that God restores and revives and brings hope and, and restoration and regeneration and life to seekers, not to people with good intentions. I want to conclude maybe by something that you may be thinking. You may be saying to me, Nick, what do I do? What, what, are, you, what are you asking me to do here? Well, what I'm asking you to do is to prioritize seeking God and God's presence in your life. I'm asking you to evaluate your life against these five things that I've just spoken about. Is your view of God right? Are you staying away from the presence of God because you feel God's angry with you or whatever, disappointed with you? Maybe you've got sin in your life and you're not dealing with it and it's keeping you from the presence of God. Maybe you're so self-sufficient that you don't need God in your life and actually what you need to do is humble yourself and turn to Him and invite Him back into every moment of your life. Maybe it's busyness that's robbing you from the presence of God in your life. Maybe it's simply because your whole life is focused on your kingdom and the things of this world. And very little of it is actually focused on God and His kingdom. If any of that resonates with you, this is what I'm asking you to do. Make the change. You know, if you had to renovate an area of your life, you could have a good intention all your life. But nothing will change. It's only going to change when you do something about it. When you get up. You go and buy the paint or you go and buy the grass, whatever it's going to take to, to, to bring life to that thing. And God tells us this, that if you and I want revival in our lives, if you, you and I want restoration in our lives, if you and I want life to things that were dead in our lives, there's a couple of things we need to do. That is to humble ourselves, to pray, to seek Him and to turn from our wicked ways. And when we do that, God brings the renovation 
to your and to my life. In Jesus' name, amen.